Welcome to the latest episode of the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland Wellbeing Series. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the founder of Real Talks, a former Cavan GA player, an author, and a performance and wellbeing coach with sports and business leaders around the world. This episode is the second part of my conversation with David Balfe, also known as For Those I Love. In this episode, David discussed how he struggled with grief and depression. He talks about the importance of therapy and reaching out for professional supports. He talks about the power of love, friendship and creativity as he worked on his sense of self-worth during dark periods. He talks about creating the award-winning album, the self-titled For Those I Love and what it is like to perform emotional songs linked to complex parts of his past. To get all previous episodes, check out the Real Talks with SoSad Ireland Wellbeing Hub at sosadireland.ie forward slash real talks or search for real talks on whatever podcast platform you prefer before we get started i just wanted to tell you that so sad ireland is here to support you and your mental health so sad ireland provides support and services free of charge to people who are struggling with suicidal ideation self-harming bereavement depression stress anxiety or if you simply need to talk please go to so sad ireland.ie to learn more about services like counseling crisis support, a 24-7 helpline and text messaging supports. If you are in a crisis situation and need urgent help, please call 1-800-901-909 now. That's 1-800-901-909 now. Thanks for listening. It sounds like those first couple of sessions you said I think it was six with the college were free and it was paid for and in a, in a sense that almost just like releases the pressure valve to kind of bring it down a couple of notches but then what's the kind of follow-on period like that for you in terms of like trying to dig into that next layer of who you are what you're about um and trying to get through that kind of fog that's around you fog's a great term to use um because that's something that I've ran into that exact feeling is something that I've ran into many times in my life since then. Like there's sludge on the feet and there's fog all around because you can't see where you're going. You can't see what's coming towards you. Um, no, man, I, I, I struggled after those six sessions because I did those six sessions and I, I felt great for a time, but other things started to pop up and I didn't have access then to anything. I wasn't able to get access to anything. Um, couldn't afford treatment. I couldn't afford to see a therapist. Um, I couldn't afford to, even if it was something simple like medication, um, which is, a, I guess, a, a, a different thing and something that I've had, uh, personally, I've had very positive experiences with. Um, but, um, yeah, I was... I was great for a time being after that and the panic was not something that I dealt with but when that just overall fog creeps back in again and that weight of depression creeps in I was lost again and I didn't know what to I didn't know what to do then because I didn't have that kind of access um I was very very blessed that I had my friends as a support system and one of the things that I got to share with my friends 
and I do think is very important in my life and I'm very um, aware of how impactful it has been is that layer of creativity. I don't know if I would have been able to undo or work through any of the difficulties or any of the um, issues haunting my life if I didn't have creativity as a way to work through that as a as a driving force as um as an in like maybe in some ways as an inspiration but in a much more real way as a a space to sort of self-interrogate and I'm really lucky that my friends also felt the same way and that we were able to connect based on in some ways shared experience in some ways common experience um, and in some ways just empathy towards each other experience and funnel that into something that was creative and greater than the sum of the parts that led to its creation in the first place, greater than the, the, the difficulties, greater than the pain, greater than the horror of some of the stuff that you look back on and, 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 and try and deal with. Um, and really gave us a, a very trusting place to to grow and develop together. Um, I know that that's in many ways a rare experience. Um, I know that it's it's something that I'm so lucky to have had. Um, it's very much a double-sided sword for me, I think, because... In one sense, it's the, you know, it is that, that creativity, that shared creativity is the thing that brought me closer to the people that I loved. It's something that brought me, um, made me far more connected in a, a very, very deep way with my friends than anything else had. Yeah, it's it's it it can be very difficult to deal with and contend with as well, particularly when you're aware when you're looking back on the when you're looking back on the stuff that you created with friends and then you realise maybe the pain that was going into some of that and you realise the pain that your friends were were dealing with at the time that maybe you were oblivious to in some ways maybe you weren't capable of dealing with it. Maybe you weren't able to see it. Maybe it didn't occur to you as alarming because you were also going through the same pain, but people deal with that pain differently. Um, so in some ways, when I look back at that creativity and it, you know, the fruits of that creativity, it can be very painful because I see in it so much of what haunted my my friends and people that I care about, people that I feel protective about. Um, but yeah, I, I think the creativity gave me a way out for a long time. I think that that's not something that's, um, it's, it's not something that's unique just to, like the, the arts or something either. Like I, I see people do the same thing with, 
with sports, with football, with boxing. Because yeah. it's um, ultimately a positive escapism of depending on what it is you're interested in or what brings you flow or where you find a way to express yourself or to kind of almost like take stuff out of your head and put it down if it's on paper, on a screen, if it's true physical activity. That's kind of what you're getting at, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, because look, there's so many things. So, so much of the... So much of that question around self-worth is that you have nothing to give. You know, that you you have nothing to show for yourself. Who am I as a person? What is, what what contribution do I make to this world? Um, with creativity, with, uh, you know, with sport, whether it's football, boxing, whether it's just lifting weights, whatever it is, there is, there is like an end result to show. It makes you feel proud of a thing that you have done. There's an accomplishment there. There's something that you can show, share with other people. Um, and it's something that you can firmly see the results of and realize that, you know, you're not what you're telling yourself that you are. Um, you can use that as a, as a very much as a, as a funnel. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, so I know you asked the, whatever it was, the, the two questions back, like where I ended up then and how I dealt with that. Like I, that's where I was. I was doing, I was doing that as a coping mechanism. I was, I was working, I was trying to funnel everything into this, just in, 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 into this uh, output of creativity as, um, as a mechanism of survival, I think. And I know, I know many of my, my peers were doing it too. Um, but but I didn't I didn't deal with conventional therapy again until after my best friend passed away, and then I think then you know you're faced with a a very you're you I mean you hit something that permanently changes who you are as a person permanently changes who the people you love and care about are as people um, and you you face a a level of you know horror concern shame guilt uh, fear unbe- unbearable sadness and, and depression and overall alienation with the world that isn't there beforehand and suddenly you need to have that help again I am lucky that I was in a position at the time to be able to afford to get access to therapy and later on down the line get access to um, yeah like the, the right medication through my doctors I don't know personally I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't had access to therapy um, because I didn't know how at all to deal with what had happened and you're still learning it's like four and a bit years ago you're still learning and and of course um it's a, it is very much a never ending road, but it's, you know, it's a road that gets brighter 
as you travel down it, it's one that you can see more clearly and it's one that you understand much more about where it is that you're going in that trajectory. You're not blindly wandering as much. Yeah, and I think I think that like in terms from the well-being perspective, David, like it's I think it's a never-ending journey. Like we all have day to day. Um and I feel like obviously when you're in a deep lull or in a deep low surrounded by fog from listening to you there like you're kind of bury yourself in the creativity and that's kind of it's helping you survive um but then kind of going back in and re-engage with those professional sports kind of give you an opportunity to come up a gear or two in terms of driving and then you're trying to find that balance of rather spikes of just highs on days or real lows on days trying to just navigate that the middle of the road and, and stay there and if it's okay with you then just kind of in terms of the, the tail end of our conversation like because you've mentioned the creativity there and you've mentioned Paul's passing. Like for anyone that doesn't know Paul, your best friend, like died by suicide. And I suppose I feel like it's the right way. If you're comfortable now talking about how that, that, that event obviously shakes you to your core, to your being, you've touched upon it there, how close you are. Your identity seemed like very interlinked in terms of uh, a, a, a me and you against the world almost in some ways, but also just being together every day. Or, or that kind of deep connection and can you talk to us a little bit about how then that kind of drives you and, and it cre- helps you create like the album for those I love obviously this, it's such a powerful creative beautiful piece of work but I also don't want to sugarcoat it in that and I know from talking to you and from listening to you it also comes from a real pay- place of profound pain and grief and yearning for for someone who you miss um, miss dearly and maybe just kind of talk to us a little bit about that process of creating the album and how it became what it became. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's complicated. Um, of course, like isn't everything. Um, when I look back on it, I think it, it's framed differently day by day. Yeah. It's weird. I haven't spoken about this in a while because I had done so, you know, you kind of, end up having to do all these media days and stuff and it's it's a it's not a, it's not a it's not a nice feeling doing them but I think you understand uh, I'd be going to understand the importance of sharing this as a as an experience because you realize just how horrifically pervasive that experience is whether it's people dealing with suicidal ideation or be people dealing with the consequences of a uh, suicide of somebody that they've that they've loved um it's a uh, it's 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 tragically commonplace and um that it breaks my heart in a vast number of ways um but but understanding hearing from people about this hearing from people that there's value and importance in speaking about this is what sort of makes you go okay yeah let's let's talk about it let's let's deal with this um because you don't want this stuff to happen again whether it's to somebody you love or to a stranger Uh, any impact that can be had is uh is better than not um yeah when Like I had been, I had been like writing this, I had been writing this music and I had this 
this name, I had this, for those I love name, I had been writing this collection of songs for my friends and my family as this record of gratitude and, and thanks for the sacrifices that they had made in their lives for me, my family very much on a social level, on a, a financial level, my friends and their empathy and their patience and even in uh, their financials themselves. Um, so much more. I had gone to a stage in my life where I had really understood how much love there was between myself and my friends and how grateful I was for that but not just me how grateful the rest of my friends were and I felt it was really important to try and honour that in some way um, I had like done things throughout the years where I had like made specific records for friends of mine like this is the Robbie Lyons tape and I would just make a lot of music that it was a way for you to express yourself to them like just it's just just gratitude like yeah. uh, this is this is you know here this is uh, the sort of music you like. I've made all these from scratch. It is just, I don't have much to offer other than my labor. You know what I mean? And this is how I, exp this is my labor. Like I've, here's the consequence of 50 hours of work or whatever. Just have it. Nobody else ever needs to see this or, or hear it, but it's yours. Um, but I had been trying to like write this thing to share with my friends. And I'd been playing bits of it for them without ever telling them what it was I would like read little bits of lyrics to them on nights out and I would play I know I've spoke, spoken about this so much but I would like I would burn CDs that would have like a mix of other people's music and then some instrumentals that I'd be making and I'd slip them all in and then we'd drive around at night time and I'd play them on the car radio and if they'd ask what this is or they couldn't Shazam it and they were focused on the song and knew that it was something that I wanted to keep in that vault for them. So I had been writing this thing as this sense of gratitude, as this uh, testament to the love that had been there. Um, and then Paul passed away and... I don't know. I feel like I've, I feel like I have a very sincere coldness when I talk about this now because I'm, I'm used to just, it's just something that's just there in your life forever. And you know that people will talk to you about it and you just need to be able to talk about it. So it's like you emote, you emote in your own time, but you know that there's a, you know that there's a reality that you just need to, to face and you just talk. You just talk about it. Um, when he he passed, it, you don't want to, you don't know what to do. And I didn't do anything. Your life, your life suddenly becomes like five minutes, three years, two months, all in the space of an hour. Every it, this sense, understanding of, of, of time, um, uh, uh, of, of, of distance, um, your, your understanding of, um, you know, pain, suffering, everything, it just all, 
disappears into this just void. There's just this, it's just in this endless void. You don't know. You're you're living in a world that isn't real in your mind for a while because you can't face the horror of the reality that awaits you. It's a survival mechanism. I know that now. Um, but I didn't do anything for a long time. And people talked to me about art and people talk to me about music and people would talk to me about the work that Paul and I and my other friends had made together. Um, people would remember Paul based on the stuff, sorry, not based on, but, but they would, they would, they would actively remember him by revisiting the things that he did, by the, by the work that he made, by the poems that he wrote, by the, uh, it, it, you know, by the, the, the pieces that he wrote, by the songs that he wrote. Um, and they would revisit who he was as a person in many ways and what they knew about him, what they contributed, what he contributed. You realise it's very much a sliver of a human, you know? You have that, like, archive of stuff there, but it's, in, in many ways, it's everything to me. I've so, I place so much value in having having those pieces, haven't been able to, you know, been able to hear Paul talk and, and emote and being able to relive memory based on video. And, but in other ways, it's, uh, it's not, it's not what it was. It's not that, mm. it's not it's that human crumbs experience. Almost. It's just crumbs. It's a great yeah. way to put it. But, but I just didn't, I didn't know anything and people talked and talked and, and I taught and taught and, then eventually, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I was just back staying in my ma's and going out to the shed where I had been writing that music. And life is very much about survival at that point. Not even necessarily about survival of yourself, but survival of all the other people that you care about because you don't know what's happening. Your world has been turned upside down. You understand and you see the pain that they're in and you feel it in yourself, but you see it in them and you don't know what strength they have left so you spend all day every day just checking in are you okay is everything okay do you need things but you never give yourself that opportunity eventually you know a year later two years later you realize that everybody else is doing that as well all your friends are doing the exact same things they're not giving themselves that opportunity they're all turning to you to everybody else in the group making sure are you okay are you safe do you have what you need um but then i go to the shed and it would be nighttime and I wasn't sleeping a whole lot and I'd start trying to write this music again but obviously it's very different because you're not writing now about this communal shared love that you're experiencing in the moment you're not writing about what's going to happen you're not writing about the future that's promised for us you're you're writing about the memories that you had you're writing to preserve memories. You're writing to to archive memory. You're writing to take those moments of most value, of most, um, you know, of most clarity in your mind and set them in permanent stone so that they stay there forever. They can't be taken back out of that song. They're there. 
You've written them down. They're printed. They will be there forever. You won't forget them because you've colored them in with the sound of that day, with the sonic makeup of that day, with the smell of that day. You talk about it in your words with the character of the people that were there. You talk about that with your words and, and you set all that stuff in stone. And suddenly this memory of somebody, this memory of a time becomes endless. It's something that's always there. It's immortal now. And that sense of loss is different. It's not better, but it's, it's different. And I had been using that as a building block, I think, to just slowly break something through, slowly get to midnight, get to 1am and face it when you're alone, when you're not looking out for everybody else and just face it for a bit. It's just you. Yeah. I did that for as long as I could and then I couldn't. And then you realise that you need like serious external help here because uh, you don't know what you're doing. And I think by that stage I had started doing what I guess many of us in our position do, particularly those who who don't have access to or knowledge of a traditional route of care. You start to like self-medicate and you're... you're, uh, your path to self-care and self-preservation becomes very blurred with a path to self-destruction because it's a lot easier to make it at times for a very short period before it all spins out of control, to make it from point A to B in the day when it's all this just blur of intoxication just moving forward. And then you go, I kind of need to do something about this because other people see it in you. Yeah, friends start to go, listen, man, there's a problem going on here. You're not who you were even a month ago. You're not who you were six months ago. Everybody knew why that was happening. I just didn't, I didn't necessarily see it as much of a problem as everybody else pointed it out to to be at the time. Yeah, but you're just trying to cope in the day, in the hour, in the minute, right? Absolutely. Of course. Of course you are. Um, of course, yeah. You're, you're, I was dealing with things the way that I knew how to deal with things, which was to gloss over it until I couldn't and then put, then put the bandage on it for when I could, which was to just, you know, get used. And then you can deal with things with this cloud around it, you know? I mean, it's a different type of fog that you're dealing with then. Um, and it, yeah, eventually I just realized I needed to get much more serious help. And I'm, again, so grateful that, I mean, all my friends were on high alert, you know, because we hadn't thought enough about this stuff for 26 years of our lives. We were going, yeah, no, that's should probably all get therapy and stuff. But like, it's, you know, yeah, we didn't know. We'd all had these real primary experiences with it and never really developed beyond that. Um we also probably didn't acknowledge the seriousness of the weight we were all carrying around. The very difficult shared memories that we all knew of. I don't think we had ever 
really come to terms with it. Um, whether that was, uh, um, whether that was this sort of very, uh, you know, toxic trait that some of us hold as, as, as men, whether it was a masochistic thing, whether it was just, um, self-preservation, whether it was cowardice, I think maybe it's probably all of those things. Um, but then, yeah, I, I am maybe fairly pragmatic about things, even at my worst times. So I spent quite a while trying to find the right person once I was convinced that, yeah, like this is probably something I should do. So I, that was the route you needed to go. Yeah. So I like, I sent emails, phone calls. I read everybody's like, I don't recommend everybody do this because it's probably not like, relevant but like I read everybody's qualifications and tried to follow up on everything and uh, eventually I just basically ended up choosing somebody based on how kind they looked in their picture it was just a, it ended up just being a good thing you know like good feeling all these things check out and that guy looks like somebody I can talk to um, and as I said I, I, I was in a position where I could afford to do that and th- those first like I've been seeing him for four years now. Like it's long, but those first couple of those first couple of weeks were a mess. Yeah, you know, first couple of weeks going to see him, it was not black and white. It wasn't straightforward. It was again that just unloading of everything, just firing your whole history out as a person in all of the complicated routes that it takes, and the difficult job for him to be able to just try and hang on to the few bits of uh, fruit on the journey that he knows can be built into, um, you know, a, a road to something positive, a road to some yeah. sense of... Like helping you put pieces of a puzzle together? Of course. And that's what it was like, because I didn't know what was happening in myself. Again, I was able to deal with the panic now, but I wasn't able to deal with the total sense of loss and alienation with the world and this sense of depression that... I that I was so unequipped for um, and that was worked and it was great and eventually I was able to control um, the the chemical side uh, the, like the external chemical side of stuff and I wasn't I wasn't drinking the same way you're you do re-engage with the professional support and through both talk therapy through medication you're able to kind of get enough breathing room just to kind of feel i suppose shave some of that numbness away and start to feel again and i'm not i think it's always important to say at this point you know when people re-engage with therapy or engage that there's all there can be that kind of initial release or relief but then there's like sometimes a second layer of actual well i'm actually in this now and i've got to try I I understand me puzzles all messed up, but now I've got to try piece it together. Um, and I'm kind of curious from like with the career, like with the career path you've been on and your music and launching that and that coming out as an album. Because in some ways, yes, music became a place for you to kind of pour your creativity into to both distract yourself, but also process things to to remember things to piece it together, David. But also then it means from a performance perspective, also you're having to then relive that, if that makes sense. Am I 
Do you get what I'm coming at? Like, it's not like, hey, like, let's say for me, for example, I've written a book, I put it all together and kind of it's a printed thing. So it's just like over there, whereas you're actually going then to to reenact it, to talk about it, to say these lyrics that you've created, to listen to music that you've put together. That must be, is that an unusual experience in some ways? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's an unbelievably unusual experience. It's an experience that's very different every time. Um, sometimes leaves me feeling an unbelievable weight of guilt, sometimes with a great sense of pain, but oftentimes with a great sense of relief and realignment with who I am as a person. I haven't really been able to figure out what it is that dictates how I'm going to feel afterwards because I don't play an awful lot. And part of the reason why I don't play an awful lot is because I don't think that it's healthy to revisit this sort of stuff again and again with that frequency. I do think it's healthy for myself, at least, to be able to revisit it from time to time. On your terms? On my terms. Um, But to be like extremely candid about it, I feel like it's very complicated and that there's a few things at play. Um, beyond the fact that at times it is this great relief and it is this thing that helps me realign where my life is going or who I, who, who, my sense of self. It is something that helps me realign my sense of self. That's the, that's what it is. It does also, it does also at times feel like, um, a very necessary penance. For myself, just just for me, um, I don't know if that's necessarily something that's healthy for other people, but for me, it is something that works. Um, it is something that makes me feel like I have not just mentally, but very physically confronted the darker parts of the history of my past couple of years. And I have very fundamentally gone through something for an hour that's uncomfortable. It's deeply confrontational. And I, I I feel like it, uh, I feel like it, it offsets some, something for me. But then I know I've mentioned it many times And I think in a lot of ways it can be hard to believe. And I think I find it hard to believe within myself at times. I question myself about this narrative, to be very frank. Um, I think at a, I think when I break it down, it's extremely accurate, but I, but I naturally question myself on it. I, I, I do feel like the, um, the real primary urge to, to perform, to do this thing from time to time, because it is a rare thing, is uh, is is very much to accommodate a space that allows strangers and at times loved ones to be able to, for an hour, go through a thing and hopefully do it in a safe way. When I say go through a thing, it's a very uh, very basic way of looking at it. 
and I mentioned earlier how pervasive this life experience is, the um, the reality of 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 living through uh, suicidal ideation or the reality of living through a life where you've been affected by somebody else's um, suicide or maybe just somebody else's tragic tragic death, tragic loss. Um, I think the show is created at least now in a way that that gives people um, a space to let out some of that primal rage and terror and fear then to be able to allow them to feel some sense of hope and within that hope release some of that sadness that's there release some of that depression that's there and hopefully leave feeling somewhat inspired with the inspired in the in the sense that things are things are moving forward down a path that is bright and getting brighter um i didn't know i would feel that way about things until i started to play some shows and i would get the messages afterwards or i would stay after the show which is something that i did for all of my four shows i just stayed afterwards and just talk to the people. People would just come up and it would be, my four, very first show I played was in Glasgow. It was like men in their 40s and 50s, like fucking big, rugged, looked like minors, you know what I mean? And they're coming up bawling their eyes out and saying like, listen, I lost my son to, to suicide and this has given me a, a path here. Um, That has offset, that is something that's so, I just get, like today, checking my messages today, there's like six or seven of those, just that exact narrative, you know? Um, that offsets, that just, it just offsets that, it offsets that sense of guilt in many ways, reaffirms in a lot of ways the, uh, the very real responsibility around this kind of topic, because it's not something I take lightly, particularly because this was not really supposed to be in its first iteration, not something that was really supposed to be shared amongst the world. You know, that took a bit of convincing. Um, uh, it, 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 it really helps offset that, that feeling of, of, of guilt and at times that feeling of despair for the world. Um, but I'd be lying if I didn't say it wasn't at times also a burden because it's an incredibly difficult way to take. Um, it's really hard to read those messages. It's really difficult to like f the odd time you go out and you're like, you're around your friends and everybody's juiced and you're not having a drink and a stranger rocks up because you're in Dublin and says like, listen, man, and, and, and gives you, the, you know, gives you their own story and how that, how that record or how those performances has in some way has in some way helped. It's um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But Jesus Christ, it's uh, it's hard. And again, another thing that I wouldn't be able to um, to deal with safely on a day to day, or know how to respond to, if I didn't have um, what I have learned in therapy over the course of the past four years, because that's been so much wider now, and such a wider net of what I've learned within uh, within that space. Um, 
Yeah, because like obviously David is someone who is whether you like it or not now like public facing, you know, because I, I just want to touch upon the point you've just made of people through no fault of their own and it's obviously brilliant that they're connecting with what you're putting out or what your output is but there's just a human nature of when someone shares something publicly that it's all people almost presume that it's been compartmentalizing in the past um and that obviously and someone sharing their their weight with you um their pain with you is a blessing too as you've as you've kind of alluded to but also i think it's important to say then that the individual still has their own well-being and that you still have your own well-being on, on a day-to-day basis you've got to live your life and that's why i always say because it we actually had a similar conversation with Rory O'Connor, who was on an earlier episode of this podcast too, David, and just that same thing of if you are a person, I suppose, that finds themselves after a few beers or on a night out where like that emotions or those feelings are spilling out at that point, that that's normally a good sign, a good warning signal that you would benefit and there's it could be time to go talk to someone like you've talked about for out, like over the course of this conversation professionally in terms of unpacking that in your own time in a safe space and trying to get a grip on that and it's kind of, it's a hard one. Like it's not, it, it's a good and a bad thing in those situations. And I just kind of want to, I do just kind of want to touch upon that because it's just a good warning signal. If you find yourself, it's happened to me on nights out. I've done it to other people, but it's that kind of spill and that overflow. It's a good sign of, Hey, is there somewhere I can reach out to? Is there someone I can talk to? Do what, is there a bit, is there a body of work here? I need to kickstart. And there's a nice way to put it when you said a body of work to kickstart. I never really thought about it like that. It's a nice, it's just a really nice phrase. It's, um, it explains it well. Because it, it, it's a body of work that you, you've touched upon it there too. Like, it never really ends. Like, you think you figured out one thing and then it's, oh, actually, that thing actually, because I know that now, I never thought of that. So now I'm thinking of that. How am I going to unpack that? Um, and I suppose, what, I just what I was thinking there, as you have you've been talking, David, and as we kind of wrap up, like, in some ways I'm thinking you in your shed kind of in that darkness and pouring your like whatever energy you could muster or putting your whatever focus you could muster into into the record into for those I love and then in some ways it's just kind of it's easy for me to say from the outsider but I'll share it with you like there's kind of a beauty then that you performing that is magnifying that space out for other people to touch base with the feelings with the emotions the memory the pain they're carrying and I know like you're 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 fresh off the back of just playing Electric Picnic, um, like it, pretty recently from when we were talking. I suppose I'll ask you that one before I kind of wrap up, because that must have been a crazy experience to stand. I know my little brother Billy, who we grew up with, he was at it, and he said the whole thing it could blew him away. But for you as an individual, primarily mentally, emotionally, physically, to stand on a stage like that and Electric Picnic and perform and put like put yourself out there like that how was that as an experience for you it was very different to all of the other live experiences I've had I traditionally that was only like whatever it's a tour I think I counted yesterday as I said I don't play many shows very selective it was the 13th time I've, I've played live I think and I had never gotten anxious before a show before but I get incredibly anxious after I play. So whenever I like play and then I talk to people and I go home, I become overwhelmed with anxiety. And that anxiety, I think, is to do with a sense of responsibility because I start to think again, was, did everybody leave feeling okay? Was that the right thing to do? Is there, is there a fear like you feel like you're going in ripping off a Band-Aid almost? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I've 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 talked to another uh I've talked to another performer who is known for very emotional shows about another another Donamede person without uh, outlining exact names. They they have they kind of they kind of put me at ease with it in a lot of ways you know they spoke to me a little bit about what way to orchestrate a show to make sure that people do get to go through that and and how they can leave a little bit more uh lighter than they came in and and how they they can feel that sense of safety when they're there um and togetherness but that's what i feel i, I, I usually after a show I, I i just start to doubt that and i go through it all but with with electric picnic um I don't know. I I had for the first time in a while had a very bad week leading up to it. It was just not just a lot happened. Um and there was there's a lot going on, some some loss and um I, 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 I usually almost welcome stress but there was just too much it was just an incredibly emotionally and physically overwhelming week. And I had redlined myself, I think, before I had even gotten to the show. And then suddenly leading into the day of the show, having been so tired, so, so physically exhausted and just so emotionally drained already, which is something I really don't ever want to happen. I tried to preserve myself beforehand because I know it's going to be a very difficult night afterwards. I felt anxious all day and it was a brand new experience for me. I felt... um, my stomach was all over the place, like call a spade a spade. I was in the jacks every two minutes, like, and I just thought it just doesn't happen to me. Um, and I didn't know what it was, but I, I think upon reflection, a lot of it was, there was such a different, for me anyway, such a different sense of responsibility rolling into something on the Saturday night of a festival, knowing that, People are coming into that space sometimes as strangers to the project, as strangers to the music, not knowing what it is. They're not, it's not like, uh, you know, the big, you know, the big Olympia show or something where everybody's gone, everybody's gone to that place just to see you. They know what they're signing up for. It's, 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 this is, this is different. This is different. Um, and I, I think I was fearful of this great role of responsibility here where you know that you aren't there to provide the lighthearted entertainment you're not there to provide the great time you're there to provide a place for people to confront you know to confront their their past their present their future and to try and grow within that hour to try and shake something off and it had been put to me like that all week and I'd been getting those messages. Oh man, I, you know, I need this, I need this. Um, and I just felt such a different difficulty. And I, I think I took that show so seriously because I knew that was the case, because I knew I wasn't rolling into something where people are coming in after two beers on a Wednesday night, you know, this is a Saturday night after they've been there for 48 hours. And I've worked at electric picnic six years filming. Like it's, 
it gets heavy, you know, I know what it's, I know what it's like. Um, and I just really wanted to make sure that people were okay. And let me be very clear as well, not, not to, not to overlook the selfishness in myself. I wanted to make sure I was okay as well. I did. I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to, one of my best friends was getting married first thing the next morning. And I knew this is like, this isn't the usual finish up a show and then come home and spend time to, to undo, unlock all of that um, chaos that's still bubbling away inside you and then place it out in a neat way that you can understand it. This was roll out of that, get back to Dublin, sleep for three hours and then get straight down first thing to a wedding down in a different part of Ireland. I knew that I was, I knew that I was facing a, I knew that I wasn't facing the usual decompartmentalize that I have after a show. I couldn't do my usual routine. So I felt that sense of responsibility for other people. And I also, maybe for the first time in a while when it comes to a show, I don't know, felt a deeper sense of responsibility for myself as well. Um, I didn't know how I felt about the show for a couple of days afterwards. And I think like what I mentioned earlier, receiving those messages from strangers um, from people that I'd never met telling me what happened to them for the course of that hour, what they went through for the course of that hour, what it has done for them in the days since or what it had meant to their friends. That was a, a, a greater team that came out. It's just all these people saying, man, me and my friends had gone through such and such a thing. We were all there. Um, yeah, again, it just offsets it. It just offsets those feelings of fear, that feelings of, those feelings of guilt and makes you feel like you've accommodated something for a community in that need that space because I know I needed that many times. I know I've gone to, I know I've gone to see Damo Dempsey because I need, I need to undo something in myself. I need that hour to, to feel the, that rage, to feel that sense of terror about the world, to feel that, you know, unbearable sadness and pain. And then to feel that, you know, feeling of hope and that feeling of reality and that feeling of future. I think I feel not yet, but maybe almost at peace with with last week since since then. It's uh it was yeah, it was strange. It was different. It's um very different to playing to like a European crowd or something. It's just so it's just again I just keep talking about that sense of responsibility it's just different it's just different it's just different seeing yourself in somebody that common ground between us it's just uh, it's just different it was yeah. it was a strange experience it's a strange experience no, I totally hear you and I think look as I just kind of sign off sign off on this David I was kind of share what's on my brain at the minute is one like first of all thank you for sharing everything you have over the course of this conversation, the honesty, the insight, the vulnerability, the courage, um, just 
I really, it's, I know, I really, really appreciate it. I know it's going to help so many people. And I suppose as I've just listened to you there talking about both your own well-being, David, and then the responsibility of other people, I just, it's just such a timely reminder as we wrap this up for like for A, like one of the most important things we can all do for ourselves is look after ourselves first and foremost um, and prioritize our own well-being. Because when we do, it helps us be better friends, brothers, sons, daughters, girlfriends, boyfriends, partners, fathers, mothers. When we look after ourselves first, we can kind of help look out for other people. And the fact that you're able to perform and create spaces for people ultimately to feel their feelings, good or bad, um, and to connect and engage with something. And I think what I'm thinking of here, and I know I'm, I'm rambling on a little bit, but we all have so many thoughts every day and we all feel so many different things. Um, and one of the biggest things we can do is just the actions we take out of that is to connect with someone you care about, with someone nearby. If it is a professional service that helps you look after yourself, helps you look after other people, and that's really how I'd like to sign off on just that those thoughts and feelings are happen to us all good and bad. And we have some sense of control, not always. It's really hard, but we do have some sense of control over the actions we can take. Some are helpful, some aren't. Um, and we're all on that path. And I just want to thank you again so much for sharing that lessons, those lessons, for sharing your just your experiences, your insights. Um, and I just thank you for being part of this campaign, because I know this conversation is going to just just touch so many people and it just to get to talk to it about this stuff with someone who I grew up with um, it's just been a really unique experience I'm very grateful for it and thank you David of course likewise thanks so much for having me thanks for listening to the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland Wellbeing series this conversation with David Balf also known as For Those I Love was extremely powerful and insightful I'm very grateful for David for sharing his mental health journey with us and I've no doubt his story will help our listeners. Over on the Real Talks with So Sad Ireland Wellbeing Hub, I've already shared mental skills masterclasses on self-awareness, resilience and self-compassion and I've posted an in-depth conversation with Rory O'Connor who's more commonly known as Rory Stories. To get all previous episodes, go to sosadireland.ie forward slash realtalks or search for Real Talks on whatever podcast platform you prefer. This podcast was hosted and produced by me, Alan O'Mara. Audio was mixed and edited by Jack Deacon at Plural Video and Design. And the music is an original track called Everyone's Alright by harpist Mary Kate Boylan. Thanks for listening.